sentire media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Special 5th anniversary episode. Si scopre tutto il blu e non posso più accucciarmi e così ritorno su. Lasci colli nelle valli tra due salici piangenti. Io ritrovo la speranza di un amore che ormai fu. Last week, on the 3rd of January 2023, the A History of Italy podcast turned five years old. Five years of podcasting from the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 to the end of the Middle Ages in Italy, or more or less, because we still have a couple of things to finish off. Now, obviously I've said it before, I'll say it again, it seems obvious, but I like to repeat it, I could never, ever have got this far if it hadn't been for all of you wonderful, wonderful listeners. In general, just downloading and listening to the podcast really helps. Of course, it is also thanks to the financial help that I've managed to set aside a couple of days a week in which I don't need to work to dedicate to the ongoing podcast. This is thanks to the advertising revenue, and I thank you for your patience in sitting through that, but most of all, for the Patreon support. This more substantial extra income allows me to take on less work and dedicate that time to my ongoing passion. Now, today we're not going to do anything particularly special. I'm going to lay out a plan for the future of the podcast a little bit and then bring you up to speed on more recent Italian history with the 2022 Italian general elections. Now, you may have noticed that from a certain point on, the timeline seems to have become a bit more erratic. Gone are the days of the Lombards and the Franks when we could proceed in all of Italy from one period to another. Starting more or less after the communal period, you will see us going forward a bit and then going back again. That is because although we are still following a chronological order, we are doing it area by area, or region by region even if you will. So we start with Sardinia, then travel down to Sicily, up onto the mainland for the Kingdom of Naples, then the Papal States, then the Republic of Florence, then up to Genova, then further up to Piedmont Savoy, across to Milan, to Trentino, then east to Venice, and back down to the Romagna area to look at some interesting realities such as the Este of Ferrara or the Gonzaga of Mantova. So, for example, we will bring Florence up to 1492, and then Genova more or less up to 1492, and then Piedmont up to 1492, and so on. When we have got everyone out of the Middle Ages, and that means beyond the year 1492, then I will probably stop to look back on certain specific things. First of all, there will be one or more episodes on the daily life of the average person, the average Giovanni, if you will, towards the end of the Middle Ages. Then I would like to do a couple of episodes focusing on the great artists of the Renaissance, such as Leonardo da Vinci and perhaps Michelangelo Buonarroti, although maybe his time is not quite here yet. 
We'll look into that, and if you have any ideas or requests, please send them in. We'll be looking a bit later at some correspondence and requests you have already made. Now, to catch up with some more modern history. 2022 was, obviously, a very big and important year for the whole world. The COVID pandemic continued, and the war in Ukraine started up in February, sparking the consequent energy crisis. In Italy, we had a general election that made history and broke two records. First of all, Giorgia Meloni and her Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers and Sisters of Italy party, won the elections, as far as a single party can win an election in Italy. Let's say her coalition won the election. There is a more in-depth analysis in a Patreon episode if you are interested. But suffice it to say that although her coalition actually won the elections and is now governing, it is her party and Giorgia Meloni herself who really came out victorious, since her running partners, that is the League, headed by Matteo Salvini, and Forza Italia, headed by the apparently indestructible Silvio Berlusconi, didn't do very well. Only about 8% each. Very, very disappointing. That means that now Prime Minister Meloni has to deal with the wounded egos of these two once-important men. The fact that she's the first woman has prompted a difference in reporting. For example, we got a lot of what she was wearing and how her clothes changed from the more casual battle period of the election campaign to the more institutional suits of the Prime Minister. Something that we don't really care about and that we never get when we have men politicians. Although there has been reporting in the past about how Matteo Salvini, the league leader, likes to dress up in different uniforms for different occasions, prompting some people to see him as an additional member of the village people. Prime Minister Meloni, a mother of a young child, was also criticised for taking her daughter to one of her first international summits. This is rather unfair, and I personally think that if more heads of government and state were to bring their children to international meetings, conferences, and so on, perhaps, perhaps, I say, they would make better decisions having the right priorities in mind. But, again, that's just an opinion. Anyway, good on Georgia for deciding on her own Bring Your Child to Work Day. The other record that the election of Georgia Meloni's government broke was that this government is the furthest right government we've had since the times of Mussolini's fascist regime. Now, there were a lot of alarms sounding about a return of fascism, but I personally think this is a bit exaggerated. First of all, there is no plan for legislation to overhaul the state and... Giorgia Meloni doesn't have the majority to actually make big changes to the constitution without bringing other political forces on board, because constitutional change in Italy requires a two-third majority that her coalition does not have. Also, Prime Minister Meloni herself has seemed to be relatively sensible and toned down a lot of the heated rhetoric she had during the elections, for example her anti-Europeanism, also, the incredibly strong anti-immigration stance has become somewhat more ambiguous, although still an anti-immigration stance. 
One of her main issues, as we mentioned, is dealing with the wounded egos of Berlusconi and Salvini, who keep popping up with rather odd ideas. For example, it was Salvini pushing for an increase in the amount of cash you can use. At the moment, in Italy, you cannot pay for something with more than €2,000 in cash. The Meloni government has proposed to increase that to 5000 citing a whole series of reasons, but in reality the only reason we can actually see is that it would allow greater tax evasion. One government representative even mentioned that it was to help the poor people, although I have not yet seen groups of poor people running around with thousands of euros stuffed in their pockets. This is not actually a new idea. Berlusconi in his time as Prime Minister also tried it. The reason then was so you could buy a present for your lady friends without your wife knowing. I do not kid you, he actually publicly said this. Similarly, they wished to change the situation with electronic payments. At the moment, shops and businesses can refuse to receive payment under a certain amount. The Meloni government would like to increase that amount so that those shops and businesses can refuse to accept card payments with higher amounts. Again, one has difficulty understanding how this is not just a way to help tax evasion. But I am not an economist. I must add that after playing around with different levels, first it was going to be 60 and then 30, now the measure has actually disappeared from the budget. The first budget of the government has passed the parliament and it has some ups and downs. There were 44 different measures which basically had no coverage and needed to be corrected, but that has been done now and there was a lot done to try and help families and businesses deal with the energy crisis. Taxes on petrol were temporarily suspended, but they are now back on in January and once again, we Italians, when we fill up our cars, are paying for the 1911 invasion of Libya. That's one long war. Meanwhile, what is our brave left wing up to? Well, after doing a really terrible job in the campaigns, they're up to their usual. That is, splitting off into different parties and factions within the same parties, and of course staying totally and completely out of touch with the basic citizen and our needs. Corruption, no matter what the colour of the government, remains a serious problem in Italy, as does organised crime, in particular the Calabrian Andrangheta, which I hope to do a little bit more work on. That is our situation as we enter 2023 with the eternal hope that things will improve, but with the realistic fear that they won't. So, on to happier and nicer things. You, my dear listeners. First of all, it has been great over the years to see that there are actually human beings out there and not just sort of random numbers and downloads from, I don't know, robots or something like that. Thanks to you Spotify listeners, for example, who scored a History of Italy at 4.8 out of 5, the podcast was in the top 10 for 2,650 of you, in the top 5 for 1,511, and the number one podcast for 323 listeners. 
You put a history of Italy in the top 5% shared podcast and the top 5% followed podcasts in 80 different countries, of which the top are the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, Italy, and Canada. The typical A History of Italy listener has the profile of the adventurer, with our listeners venturing into the unknown, searching for fresher podcasts and gems yet to be found. So good on you. And of course, for all the other platforms wherever you listen, thank you very much. For example, the Apple downloads are about to reach 900,000. Now, my listeners are not just listeners, but they are also active participants in the podcast. Indeed, working behind the scenes are those who I call my correctors. Now, I make mistakes quite often on this podcast, more than I would like to, and they have been corrected over time by careful, attentive listeners. You may not hear them anymore, because obviously then I go and change them. For more recent examples, I'd like to thank Dree K., Eowyn, who taught me the pronunciation of Marquis, which I always get wrong, and Logan, who quite correctly pointed out that the dome of Brunelleschi was built on Santa Maria in Fiore and not Santa Maria Novella. Other correctors are Spencer and also Peter W. Thank you very much for that. And now to move on to the request. Simon from Suffolk has mentioned that he would like to hear something about Caterina Sforza, and will definitely be doing something on her, perhaps after we've spoken about the French invasion of Italy and the Borgias. Simon S., who is an expert on the Venetian Republic, obviously will be hearing more about them, and he expressed some very interesting views about the naughty dodge Martin Fallier. Michael sent in a request to talk about the tragedy of the bombing of San Cassiano. This was in the Second World War, and obviously it will be quite a while, definitely more than another five years before we get to the Second World War, but obviously we will be talking about that. Similarly, Anne S. would like to hear more about Victor Emmanuel, and we'll be definitely doing that when we get to the Risorgimento. I have quite a few Jewish listeners who obviously would like to hear more about the minority communities in Italy, and I would definitely like to find some time to do that, as our local library has a whole section devoted to the history of the Jewish community in Italy. So Gilad and Baruch, as many others, look out for that. The fantastically named Theo DiCaprio would like to hear more about Italian food, and there is a sort of plan for that, although I'm not a huge expert. Jimmy makes a very interesting request to hear something about the history of malaria, which has indeed been an important factor in Italian history, stopping certain invasions, for example. Michael T. has asked me my opinion about the television series and books My Brilliant Friend, which obviously is a very much more modern take. I haven't actually read the book or seen the films, it's not really my style of thing, but when we do get to that time period, so the 20th century, we may look into that as well. I am generally quite happy to discuss books, especially with the authors of said books. Last year we had two great interviews, one with Brandon Gautier, 
about his book, Before Evil, a book that looks at the early lives of figures such as Benito Mussolini, Lenin, and Stalin, and of course the interview with world-renowned author Philippa Gregory about Maria Beatrice d'Este, the wife of James II. To accept book interviews, I do like for the book to be historically accurate and, if possible, good. As far as my brilliant friend goes, L'Amica Geniale, it's a very interesting mystery in Italy because nobody actually knows who the author Elena Ferrante really is. I would like to now share with you just a couple of the messages that you wrote in that I find particularly nice or entertaining. For example, Canned M says, Just getting to this mic, loved it. And... The skits with your little boy are almost cute enough to make me want children. Don't know if you got round to that, Kend. Then John W. says, Also, I'd like to say that a lot more could have been said about San Marino's bear. You will remember from the San Marino episode that the saint supposedly befriended a bear that he used to ride around on. John W. continues, I mean, he was riding a freaking bear. And the bandits still jumped out? I think that'll be one of the things that you check before revealing yourself. Guy looks rich, no guards, seems unaware of us, isn't riding a bear. You know, those things. But at least you know that he lived to be 90. Any person with a bear friend would have a much more peaceful and relaxed life. That said, please present my applause, silent as my girls are sleeping quite nearby, to the acting troupe. I don't know why, but the skit for San Marino was particularly delightful. That's John W., who also sent in encouragement for my idea of collecting all of the content from 476 up to 1492 and transforming it into a book, which a lot of you have sent in encouragement for. So, as well as encouragement, if you also have any idea of how to publish a book, that would also be very helpful. As well as those of you who wrote emails, wrote on Patreon, wrote on Facebook, wrote on Twitter, and so on, we also have those of you who took the time to leave a review, for which I thank you very much. Some of the most recent have lovely titles, wonderful, one of the best podcasts, and one that I really like, Not Your Grandmother's Source. I must say, I must say some of these really make me blush. Thank you, thank you. Speaking of source, I know there's a bit of a debate in the Italian-American community about the name source or gravy. Well, it's not a problem in Italy because we don't have gravy. It's all source here. I would like to now, relatively quickly, address an email by Jeff who asked me to talk a little bit more about my life, which I never thought would be that interesting, but as we say in Italian, chiedere lecito, rispondere e cortesia. That means you're allowed to ask and answering is a courtesy. So, the very short version. I was born in the Piedmont region in the town of Galliate, province of Novara, to an Italian father who hails from the Emilia area, specifically from Canossa. Yes, that's right, Canossa of Matilda of Canossa, where we live more or less now, and we are very close to that famous castle of the winter of 1077. And to an English mother from the not-so-lovely town of Slough, but who grew up in the nicer town of Bognor Regis. 
We did not stay long in Piedmont. We moved to Lombardy, specifically to a small town near the city of Brescia, where my sister was born. At the age of six, before starting school, we moved to the UK, specifically Rickmansworth. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but Rickmansworth is actually mentioned in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It is in this town that a young lady is sitting and realizes the meaning of life before the Earth explodes. The time there made me into a rather disappointed long-term Watford and Anthony Joshua fan. After three years in the UK, we moved to the United States, specifically to Pulaski, Virginia, where I spent five wonderful, memorable years and made some really great friends. Then, in 1991, it was back to the old continent and back to Italy, to the province of Reggio Emilia, where I have been ever since. I went to high school in Italy, and I studied languages and literature with a minor in history at the University of Parma, one of the oldest universities in the world. I then set up life as an English teacher, got married to my wonderful philosopher wife, and we had two children. The little boy has actually just turned 18 and is big and hairy and doesn't do as many skits anymore because his voice is so similar to mine, you can hardly tell the difference. Now my life continues here in a small town in the province of Reggio Emilia. I'm still a full-time teacher, but hopefully, hopefully, I can slowly move in, thanks also to all of your help to full-time podcasting. Well, that is enough rambling. I hope that somewhere in that you found something of mild interest. All I can do now is thank you once again for listening, for supporting, for writing in, for reviewing, and all of the support you have given in all kinds of ways. Happy fifth anniversary to A History of Italy podcast, and here is to many, many more. Salute. Until next time, I'll leave you with the sketch of San Marino and arrivederci. Right. We are here to decide the case of the papacy versus the Republic of San Marino. Now, if I understand correctly, the position of the papacy is that they should own everything, absolutely everything in the whole world, especially that dumb little city on that rock over there. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Well, the position of San Marino is that they have always been free ever since some dude and or his bear said you were. That's good. I would also like to add, for the record, that the Pope stinks and is boring and a giant party pooper. How dare you! Noted. What? Do you have anything else to add? Yes, we put our towel there first on a chair. Ah! Towel on a chair, eh? Well, that is important. What do you mean, important? Quiet, please. Anything else?
Yes, someone licked all the rocks on Mount Titan. All the rocks licked them? Really? Impressive. Yes, it was Lorenzo of the Long Tongue. Is there any proof of this? Yes, his cousin saw him do it. This is silly. How does licking things make them yours? Well, have you never licked your food so no one would steal it? There you go. That is a good point. That is ridiculous. Anything else? We wrote our names on the walls. I didn't see that. We wrote them inside. Well, there's quite a lot here. Any closing arguments? I didn't want to bring this up, but... Go on. We call dibs. Oh, well, why didn't you open with that? That settles it. I hereby assign the lands upon Mount Titan to the people of San Marino forever and ever. Or at least until they run out of towels. Thank you, Your Honor. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.